All right, good morning. My name is Chris. I'm the student pastor here at the Vista. Glad to be with you in the big room this morning. Um, if it's your first time here, we're so glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. We hope that since the moment you showed up at the building that you have felt welcomed and loved and wanted here at the Vista. Uh, before we jump into the message today, we have something to celebrate together. Um, this past month was Hunger Action Month, and we set a goal to raise $15,000 to provide meals uh, for families over the holidays so they, they could have a meal uh, for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so, did we hit the goal? Let's see. We're going to do a drum roll. Let's do that. Everybody, yeah, here we go. Let's see. Yes, $18,250. Wow. So incredible. That, hey, that will provide meals for more than 430 families in our community. And so, um, so excited about that. And Vista has given more than $63,000 just in this quarter alone of 2021 back into the local community to meet needs and share the story and love of Jesus. And Hey, this is only possible when each of us says yes to faithfully giving when God calls us to give, right? And so just want to say thank you so much, and let's continue to be generous. Um, we're in week three of our series, Reading Romans Backwards. Uh, and so we, we're starting at the end of the letter. We started at the very end of the letter a couple weeks ago. And we're working our way back towards the beginning because the goals and the aim of Paul in writing this letter are revealed at the end of the letter, particularly chapters 12 through 16. And those goals help us understand the context of the theological issues that are discussed, particularly in the, in the first part of the letter, chapters 1 through 11. And so we're going to be in Romans 12 today. Austin preached on Romans 14 and 15 last Sunday. Dave will be preaching on Romans 13 next Sunday. So we're going a little out of order with me teaching on 12. Um, and really, there's, there's, with no order, like, let's just, t- like, we're not reading Romans backwards anymore, right? We're just running around Romans. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. We're running around Romans. Austin and Dave aren't here, so what are they going to do? Um, I'm changing the series name as a popular gift. I'm the captain now, so buckle up, people. It's going to be a wild ride, right? I better jump into it. I'm always, the production team's like, nope, mute his mic, turn off the lights, we're out of here. We're not going to be a part of this. We're not going to be a part of this. Um, does anyone, any Coca-Cola fans in here? Yeah, some of you, some of you are like, no, Dr. Pepper, how dare you? Um, well, I, I've done a couple of mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And if you've ever done a mission trip over there, like, they, they have the, the real Coca-Cola, like, with sugar. And it is so good. Part of it is so good is after a hot day serving, like, an ice-cold Coca-Cola, man. It's nothing better. Um, but it's, it's, it's got real sugar. It's so good. Um, back in the 1980s, we had what we call Coke Classic, um, which was Coca-Cola with real sugar. Uh, and then they, they made the switch to corn syrup. And everyone got upset. They could taste the difference. They were like, no, we want the real sugar back. Bring back the Coke Classic. Uh, So they did. But then slowly over time, they increased 
the corn syrup content, decrease the sugar content to the point that we now have 100% corn syrup. Uh, and the change was made over time to where you were slowly being conditioned, being formed to enjoy Coca-Cola uh, with 100% corn syrup. What we are consuming, what we allow to speak into our minds and our hearts is conditioning us. Christ is the good stuff. Christ is the real stuff. He's the one that should be forming our lives. And I think that's what Paul was telling these house churches in Rome in chapter 12 of his letter. So we're going to jump into the passage. I'm going to read it in three different parts. And so we're going to start uh, with Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what Paul was asking the Roman church... And what we are being asked is, what is forming us? What's forming us? Christ or culture? Because we are either being molded to look more like Christ, or we're being molded to look more like the culture around us. And that's a process. That doesn't happen overnight. Listen, I'm a big Texas A&M fan, right? I'm in whoop. We're still whooping, and we're, it's a rough night for us. Ah. Uh, and to that point, I didn't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to be an Aggie fan. I enjoy just extreme pain throughout football season. You know, A&M's going to be my team, right? No, that'd be crazy, right? I, I, was, I, I became an Aggie uh, because my parents both went to A&M. So growing up, they would, they would take me to College Station, show me the school, uh, took me to games, so I got to experience the game day experience. And, and I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the school. I fell in love with the town. I fell in love with the team. And it was, it was a thing that happened slowly over time that formed me into an Aggie fan, all right? And then I eventually went there, got my undergrad at A&M, and I'm now an Aggie, for better or worse, through the good and the bad, primarily the bad. Um, no, but I love it. I love it. I love Car Station. I've always said that Car Station is just a little taste of heaven, minus the traffic. Um, I, can look, I look back now and I can see how my parents and my experiences helped mold me into an agony. But at the time, growing up, I wasn't aware of that. My parents probably were, but I wasn't, right? Often we're not consciously thinking about what's forming us. That's why I think it's such an important question for us to ask and reflect on. What is forming you, Christ or culture? And here's some practical questions you can ask to help you reflect on that question. When you wake up in the morning, what do you do first? Do you spend some time in prayer? Do you read your Bible? Do you turn on the news? Do you listen to your favorite podcast? If so, what are you watching? What are you listening to? How do these things affect your day and the way you engage in, in the world around you? Who do you hang out with? Who do you follow on social media? Essentially, what we're asking is, what, what are you consuming? 
Is Christ the primary one that is forming your day or is it something else? Because it really comes back to identity. If you're a follower of Christ, your identity is in Christ. Paul was telling these house churches in Rome, he's like, hey, you're no longer Roman in your embodied way of life. So for us, you're no longer American. You're no longer Republican. You're no longer Democrat. You're no longer defined by your job. You're no longer defined by your status. You're no longer defined by your mistakes. You're no longer defined by your fears. Your identity, your life is defined by your Lord and Savior, Jesus. That's who defines your life. Scott McKnight, who wrote the book, uh, reading Romans backwards, he says in his book, um, this sacrifice is a dual action of God orientation and away from the world orientation. To turn to God, to embody a life that is sacrificial worship, is to turn away or turn from the way of Rome to turn to Christoformity. And he uses this word Christoformity, which he defines as the process of being conformed to Christ. It's that process of Christ slowly forming us into his image. This is why I think the rule of life is such a great tool. Because the rule of life helps shape your identity and contributes to your Christoformity by helping you organize your day in a way that allows Christ to be at the forefront of your mind and the primary one that forms your day and your life. Because here's the deal. Christoformity is not something that comes natural to us. We're continually being influenced by the culture around us. And if you're like me, some weeks you don't feel like praying. Some weeks you don't feel like reading your Bible. That is why Christoformity is something we have to submit to. And the rule of life provides a structure to help you do that. And if you're not familiar with the rule of life, there's information on our website and also in our app and how to use, how to use it, um, along with guided prayers for, for morning and midday and evening. We also, in our app, have the, the reading plan for Romans. That There's a psalm every day to read and also get to read through the chapter that we'll be discussing that week in service. And so take advantage of these, of these tools that kind of help you begin to structure your day in a way where Christ can be the primary one that's forming your life. In the first week of this series, Austin gave an overview of Romans, and he talked about one of the main themes in Romans is church unity. And one of the things that Paul would not tolerate is division. And one of the main causes of division is when we allow culture to be the one that's primarily forming our lives, because then we tend to see each other as opposition, as competition, and as enemies, not as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is a good point to move into the next section of this passage. In verses 1 and 2, Paul discusses what it looks like to be formed in Christ as an individual. In verses 3 through 13, Paul shifts to what Christoformity looks like for the church and Christian community. So we're going to pick up verse 3. Paul writes, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body's parts do not have the same function, 
So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if service in the act of service, or the one who teaches in the act of teaching, or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, and the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So also in week one, Paul talked about how these house churches in Rome were very diverse, made up of people from different backgrounds and different beliefs. They were made up of Gentiles and Jews who had very different beliefs about theology and church practices. And Paul is expressing in these verses why that is important. Just as the human body has many parts that are needed but do not all have the same function, the same is true for the body of Christ, the church. We are each created unique with different personalities, born in different places and cultures. We each have different gifts and abilities, and that's all intentional. Here at Vista, one of the things that we value and we're continually working hard to build into our culture is being a diverse church made up of people with various church backgrounds, different political ideologies, various ethnicities, and from different places and cultures. There's not one type of person that fits Vista. And that is one of the things that I think makes us a healthy church. If we're ever sitting in this auditorium and we look around and everyone looks and thinks the same as everyone else, then that's the only type of person we're going to reach. And I'm pretty sure God's plan was to reach far more people than just one type of person. Uh, I love being a part of this staff. I've served on a few different church staffs, and, and, and this by far has been the most healthy, united, and fun one I've ever been a part of. Uh, and one of the reasons is we don't agree on everything. Right? Actually, we, we, we passionately disagree about some things. Sometimes we have our staff meeting every Tuesday morning. Sometimes staff meeting, the, the beginning of it is just some pretty intense debates, right? For instance, a few weeks ago, we had a debate over which fast food burger joint was the best. And it was between In-N-Out and Whataburger, all right? And there were some pretty pointed jabs taken, I'm going to say, by some staff members. They were questioning other staff members' status as true Texans, all right? There was a time of prayer. Demons were cast out. It was, it was wild, right? And while this is, uh, while we disagree like on, on something trivial as like a favorite fast food burger place, um, we also disagree about more serious things as well. But in the end, it draws us closer because we all know everyone's heart in that room. And we're united in our mission of loving God and loving people by sharing and living the gospel of Jesus.
And that's what Paul emphasizes at the end of this section in verses 9 through 13. Devotion to one another in love, which also requires, as Paul mentions, devotion to prayer, serving the Lord and contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. It takes all of us, our individual giftings and backgrounds and experiences that uniquely position us as a church body to reach a diverse population with the gospel of Christ. Okay, we've arrived to the final section of the passage, verses 14 through 21, where Paul talks about how this process of being formed to Christ will affect how we interact with our neighbors and society at large, particularly those outside of our Christian community. So let's pick it up, verses, starting in verse 14. Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in the previous section, in discussing Christoformity within Christian community, much of the focus that Paul had was on unity. The theme that Paul appears to focus on in this section regarding relationships with those outside of Christian community is peace and harmony. Now, what Paul was saying in this section for the Jewish people in the house churches would have been difficult to hear. Um, Austin talked a little bit about this last week, but they had been expelled from Rome by Emperor Claudius back in AD 49. And they had recently made their way back following Claudius's death and Nero taking the reign. And, and, but when they returned, many returned to a, to a life with lesser status and lesser roles in society. And so learning to get along with their new Roman Gentile Christian brothers and sisters, that was not easy. Hence why Paul is continually talking and emphasizing church unity in these house churches. Now imagine being told that you need to bless and pray for and love their non-Christian Roman neighbors. Let's just say that was probably not their natural response, right? And I think if we're honest, we can relate to these Jewish Christians in Rome. I think we struggle getting along with and living in harmony with people we disagree with and who may be living and operating in a way that is in opposition to Christian teaching and living. If you're you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, Paul's first words in this section should sound familiar to you. In, In Luke 6, 27 through 28, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Loving your enemies Blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who hate you. That is, that is not easy, okay? 
That's probably not most of our natural response, right? And I think that's why praying for enemies is such a crucial component to being able to love your enemies. And praying for your enemies isn't isn't easy either, right? And I think that's why it's something we have to submit to, being able to pray for enemies. It's, It's trusting that Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said this. In praying for your enemies, your heart is conditioned and formed to Christ in the way that you respond to them. Jesus had a lot of opponents over the course of his life. How did he respond? He responded in ways that he taught through love and peace. Having said that, it's important to note that these teachings do not contradict what we talked about um, in the first section that was not conforming to this world. Jesus never caved to the way of society. He showed the world a better way, right? And he changed the world forever. God wants us to be a part of what he's doing in this world. And let me tell you, it looks a lot different than this world. Uh, we, we took a, a group of high schoolers uh, on a mission trip to New York City a couple years ago. Uh, we partnered with a, with a church called Journey Church in Queens. And one of the things that, that we did um, for outreach that, um, that was a way for them to kind of get the word out about their church was we would stand outside the subway. And so when people were coming home at the end of the day, and it had been a long day for them, coming home, um, you know, between 6 and 7 p.m. is when they're arriving back in Queens, coming from Manhattan, coming off the subway. We had granola bars, um, and, we, and we had a, an invite card to the church uh, that was attached to the granola bars. And so we're handing these out as people are coming off the subway. Um, some people were, were thankful. <laughs> um, most just kind of took it and went about their day, right? Um, and then a couple were, were very angry. We're very angry that we were there, um, particularly that we, that we were a church there. Um, and so one of our, a, f- a few of our students got, got cussed at um, and uh, yelled at. And so like one of the, one of the there, was, there was a guy that was, that was yelling at um, one of our students. And, and, and my natural response, like what I wanted to do was like go over and go, hey dude, like you feeling tough? Like, you, you're, you just made a 16-year-old girl cry. Like, come on. I mean, like, really? Um, but I didn't do that. A, I mean, look at me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty scrappy and I fight dirty, but let's, let's just say the odds were not in my favor. So, and then the other reason, right, is that would completely derail our mission for being there, Right? Like, if we, if we got into it, like, I could see it on the news. Like, local church gets in fistfight with people coming out, you know, coming out of the subway, right? Like, that would just completely ruin that church's mission, being there in Queens. No, instead, when people were rude to us or, or, or cussed at us or yelled at us, um, he said, you know, have a great day. God bless. Uh, and we debriefed that night, like we did every night. One of the things we talked about was, like, that guy, like, Maybe he was just having a really bad day. Like he, he had a, maybe he had a bad day and he came off that subway and we were there. He didn't expect us to be there and he was just, just like ready to get home and he was just, just didn't want to engage with anybody and just let out his frustration, right? Uh, and so one thing we did is we just, we just prayed for him, right? And just prayed that he would, you know, experience 
God and, and, and experience his hope and his love. And what that did is it, it changes the way that we now saw this man, right? Um, we now were able to empathize with him and go, you know what? Yeah, maybe he was having a bad day. And I could see like coming out of the subway, us being there, he probably wasn't happy about it, right? Um, and so we were able to empathize with him and see him in a different light. And that's what praying for others, particularly your enemies, does. It helps you empathize. And as Paul said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul closed the chapter with this. He said, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, what Paul is saying here is not some sick way to enact revenge on your enemy, all right? He's not saying, if your enemy is hungry, sneak a ghost pepper in his food and watch as burning coals ignite on his head, right? That's not what Paul is saying. He says, overcome evil with good. So in treating an enemy with love and grace, the goal is reconciliation and peace, that maybe their hearts would be turned towards Christ. That's how God defeated evil. I mean, he didn't send Jesus down on a white horse with, armed with a sword, ready to slay anybody who opposed him, right? No, Jesus came down to earth ultimately to give up his life for the very people that opposed him. That's what the cross represents, the incredible love and grace of God on a people who opposed and rejected him. Our hearts are changed when we experience the reckless love of Christ. That's how we overcome evil, not through revenge, not with a greater evil, but with the goodness, grace, and love of Christ. So as you look back over this entire chapter, chapter 12, I think, I think it comes back to this question of what is forming you, Christ or culture? What has a bigger influence on your life? News outlets, podcasts, other voices in society? Or Jesus, if you're being molded more every day into the image of Christ, it's gonna change the way you see and engage the world around you. It's gonna change the way you view the body of Christ, the church, and how you participate in Christian community. And it will change the way you respond to those who oppose and mistreat you. I think it's pretty incredible that God wants us to be a part of what he's doing in this world. But in order to show the world a better way to bring peace and hope and love to a society and culture that desperately needs it, our lives must be oriented to Christ, meaning he is the aim in which we align our lives. As we pursue Christ, our lives are slowly but actively conditioned and molded into the image of Christ who changed the world not through revenge or giving the world what it deserved or overcoming evil with evil but by overcoming evil with good through his incredible grace and love let's pray dear Lord we are so thankful um, for your incredible love. We're so thankful um, that you would choose to allow us humans to be a part of what you're doing in this world. Um, 
But living in, in the society that we do and the culture that we do, that's naturally going to influence us. So Lord, help us to be aware of that. To try to just consciously think through the things that are influencing and, and speaking into our minds and hearts every day. And that we may take steps to prioritize you and allow you to be the primary one that molds and forms our days and our lives, Lord. We thank you for your incredible love and grace. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.